Our reading is from the Gospel of Luke. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He, Jesus, said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today, tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way. Because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. What a strange little reading. Here's another one. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us and had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. That's the famous opening words, of course, of Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities, a tale about London and Paris, written about the time before the French Revolution. Some of the most famous words that Dickens ever wrote. A division completely. And you read the book and you begin to discover what that actually means in lots of different ways. Jerusalem seems to be, in our strange little reading, a tale of two cities. Jerusalem is the city of Zion. It's the city of peace. Jerusalem is the city of truth. The city of God. The garden of God. The light of the world. They're all names that have been given to Jerusalem over the centuries. According to the Jewish Mishnah, there are 70 proper names for Jerusalem. And they're all of this ilk. It's the light on the hill. And Jesus says, it's a city of murder. It's definitely a tale of two cities. One city with two different things. This is a city under siege, according to Jesus. They need protection. But it's a city 
resistant to love and care. Jesus said, I have this desire to draw you all together, but you will not. You're not willing. It's a city of destruction and despair. It isn't the city on the hill. It isn't the city of Zion. See, Jesus says, your house, meaning the temple, is left desolate. That's an indictment if ever there was. The heart and soul of who you are is completely empty. You are desolate. Something is going on. This is a very, very sick culture. So sick that Jesus has to perform cures and the casting out of demons. That's what the first part of the reading tells us. Something is going on. This is not the city in the advertising brochures. The Tourism Commission of South Australia would not use this material to tell us how wonderful Adelaide is in Mad March when we're all busy going to festival and fringe and WOMAD and other things. Something else is going on here. This is the kind of city where when the Olympics come, you move all the poor and the destitute and away. I don't know where away is, but it's not here where the cameras are. Because that wouldn't happen. It didn't happen in Sydney, did it, when we had the Olympics? It did. As bad as anywhere. Jesus had a black armband view of history. Wouldn't be appreciated by John Howard and those of the the right. Um, We need to be telling a different story. The story of conquest and the story of uh, settlement and the story of building of civilization. All of which, of course, is true. Uh, The... the, um, the term the black armband view of history came from one of our noted historians, Geoffrey Blaney, um, who coined it in his book, The Tyranny of Distance. Or I think he coined it actually in a speech after, in talking about his most famous uh, book, The Tyranny of Distance. His alter ego, the other great um, historical figure in, in Australia's writing of Australia's history, of course, is Manning Clark, who was more from the left and... Um, Clark was always seen by the right as insufficiently patriotic and Blaney was always seen by the left as um, too patriotic. This is what Manning Clark said in the Boyer Lectures. Now, you know the Boyer Lectures? They're probably the most well-known lecture series in Australia. They they come from the ABC and uh, 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 all of the great Commonwealth countries have a a broadcasting lecture. Um, The Boyer Lecture is the Australian one. The British lecture where it came from suddenly gone from my head while it's called, doesn't matter. They're very, always bring a famous, uh, well-known uh, intellectual thinker to, to bring these lectures. And, and in, in 1974, it was Manning Clark. And he said this in, he's talking about why he wrote Australian history and why it was so important to him and why he wrote it in a narrative form, which makes it really accessible to non-historians. What interested me, Clark said, was assuming mankind had killed God, what did Australians put in his place? Did they attempt to become like gods and steal fire from heaven so that they might build a new heaven on earth? Did they bestow on each other, on every living creature, on every blade of grass, the love and tenderness that they had previously lavished on what he calls the mighty disposer? 
Or did they begin to tear each other to pieces and to descend to the level of the goat and the monkey? Are we now as men who have been freed from those priests' inventions about heaven and hell? Men with such joy in our hearts that life has become for us like Shuller's hymn of joy? Or have we become bored survivors, sitting comfortless on Bondi Beach, citizens of the kingdom of nothingness, who booze and surf while waiting for the barbarians? You've got to love Manning Clark's turn of phrase in everything he writes. It's a tale of two cities right there, isn't it? Or if you like, two countries. Jesus in this text is telling the truth. Something that he did frequently and one of the reasons that got him into such trouble. We're not interested in the truth much of the time particularly when it's against what we want to believe. I've said many times in the, in the last couple of years how often our Prime Minister, and this is not a criticism of him, how often he has said out aloud what he really wants to have happen, as if by saying it, it will happen. He wants to return to whatever normal is. And he's done it over and over again during the pandemic. And as I say, it's not a criticism. All he's doing is saying out aloud what we all want. Because you had to have liked normal quite a lot to want to go back to it, and that's a whole other question there. Not all of us thought it was so exciting. But it's this desire to not tell the truth, but to tell the thing we want to be the truth. Jesus is relentless in not doing that, but in speaking truth and in getting him into trouble. And he offers here not only the truth about Jerusalem as, if you like, two cities, but he offers a truth about what his project is, what he's working towards. And it's not the fox in the hen house. It's not Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which had only been in existence for, um, in, maybe in living memory, if, if there were some people there who were old enough to you know, get to our ripe old ages of, in the 80s and 90s. It was a new thing where Rome had basically um, pressured everyone into living a certain way. They could have all kinds of concessions as long as they worshipped Rome and did as they were told. That was what's called Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. But that's all in uncertainty at this time because Augustus, the emperor who had instituted that and brought in these years of peace his dead and Tiberius his sort of adopted son who nobody really liked and nobody wanted was going to probably be the next emperor but no one was sure it's likely that that's happening right at this moment Hey, mate. it's not that that Jesus is talking about what Jerusalem needs to be is a place of healing and right mind I'm casting out demons and performing cures it needs to be a renewal of what it means to be human. And it needs to be a place of safety. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Such a um, pastoral kind of image, isn't it? And of course, a much more feminine image than uh, 
some people are used to when speaking about God. We've gotten very keen on talking about God uh, using male characteristics. And it's a place of consistency, a place of certainty. And of course, the empire was not a place of certainty at that time. There was no way of knowing what the emperor would do, except that we know the emperor just got tired, sick and tired of Jerusalem and the people. And, and around the time this was put down, the Gospel of Luke, but well after the time Jesus was saying these things, finally the empire and the legions came in and destroyed the city. But for Jesus, it's got to be a place of consistency. Today, tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my work. Most scholars are telling us that what that means is, even though it has a kind of a link to those of us who are Christian and those of us who have read ahead, that Jesus was in the grave for the for three days and then uh, then was resurrected. Uh, most scholars are saying it's not that. It's much more a kind of uh, a phrase that says, just keep on going. Um, you, you, so you might say something like today, tomorrow and the next day, meaning I'm just going to keep doing this. There's no end to this. Um, uh, it, just, it just keeps going. And, and that's the kind of image that's being given here, which, of course, is a, a real slap in the face to uh, Herod, uh, who's busy trying to control the place to, to the Romans. It's as if Jesus is saying, none of that is going to deter me at all. I'm moving on a different project. Today, tomorrow, the next day, until I finish my work. Or when's the work finished? Well, when everybody's gathered in. So in a sense, it's never finished. It's on and on. And then he says, I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, remember, we often say in Luke, Luke is all about seeing, not just seeing, but really seeing. Like not just looking, but actually understanding what you're seeing. So here we've got Jesus saying, you will not see me. You will not know what the hell is going on. Might be another translation. Until. So all of this will happen and you won't know. There will be things going on and you won't make sense of them. Until the time comes when you will say, blessed, cared for, honoured. Respected, noticed. One of the great things in our culture at the present time is how we're easily able to kind of put aside those who we prefer not to notice. People in all kinds of pain and concern, people who are homeless and all of those sorts of things. Blessed is, is, is essentially means to be cared for, to be honoured, to be recognised, acknowledged, to, not, to be known. Until the time when you say... Honoured, blessed to be known, is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, the one who comes in the name of God is the one who speaks for, is like an ambassador for, is the, is the essence of. A good, a good ambassador says only what the country for which she or he is the ambassador tells them to say. And no more. And takes back messages. It's, they, they are, for all intents and purposes, the entity present to us. That's why uh, in, in embassies, the, the embassy, even though it's in Canberra for another country, when you're inside that embassy, you're in that other country. 
Now, that's, now we know it's a fiction, but it's a, it's a fiction that works for us because we understand what is being done when we say somebody who comes in the name of. It's saying someone who, you will, when you see me, you will see me blessed, cared for, honoured, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So the one who comes as God, the one who comes trailing clouds of glory in the great Wordsworth poem that we had a couple of months ago, weeks ago, I'm not sure when. Trailing clouds of glory. It's the idea that you come as the same. So who does that? Well, of course, Jesus. We know that because that's what the gospel keeps telling us. But not just Jesus. Us too. An often unnoticed verse in the third chapter of Luke, so just prior to these these words that we're reading, there's a whole list of people going back to Adam. Jesus was the son of, was the son of, was the son of, was the son of. And then it gets back right to Adam. And who was Adam the son of? God. It's all, and of course Adam is just a word that means the first man, the first human. It's all of us. So this is saying, and I tell you, you will not see, you will not really see what's going on until you say welcome, respect, honour, is, honoured is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Honoured is all of us, everyone. Until Jerusalem manages to take care of and can be concerned for and live wholly with everyone, you won't see it at all. Until Australia is willing to be the place, until this community... Until you and the people you have to live with. Until I and the people I have to live and work with. Until we are able to do that with each other. Seeing within each other the imprimatur, the essence of divinity. The true nature of who each other is. Till that happens. And Jesus seems to think it's going to have to go on and on. Until that happens. We won't experience it. We won't see it. It won't be the place of flourishing that we want it to be. And that's the truth that Jesus wants us to know. And that's the truth of Lent. And that's what we're dealing with.